PR Pro Cannabis Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the High Lifestyle Show in Boxborough, Massachusetts. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and we are so happy to be on location for this incredible celebration of cannabis here in the Bay State of Massachusetts. Joining me here on stage in front of thousands of people is John Provost, an extremely legendary actor out of Hollywood, California. You've probably heard of Hollywood, California, right? And John Provost, Probably, you probably have seen him. If you ever watched the show growing up, sorry, John, I am a little younger than you, okay? Just a little, all right? Uh, Lassie, and he was Timmy and Lassie. On top of that, he's got, a, he's got a resume from his film career and his television production career that I am envious of. And if anybody knows me, you know, I... I had a little bit of a career, too, as a sports guy, but this is completely different. This is Hollywood, baby. This is real showbiz. And, John, you have been, a cel you have been celebrated in Hollywood your entire career because you started so young. I, I remember age three. Yeah, not quite three. Yeah, my first <laughs> yeah, was so big with Jane Wyman and Sterling Hayden. You know, but, of course, Jimmy, everybody remembers Lassie. Right. You know, that's the thing that, that they remember, but... Yeah, I started before that, and, and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and I look at, the, this is what, I did this last time when you and I talked on my old show. Well, actually, it wasn't an old show. It was like two weeks ago on Green Rush Live. Jane Wyman, uh, Grace Kelly, Bing Crosby, Robert Redford, Natalie Wood, nobody really big. Um, Rod Steiger, Kurt Russell, Kim Novak, Jack Benny. I mean, really? Really? Is he, is he really cheap, by the way? Was he really cheap in real life? Trying to get 25 cents out of him. I'm not sure. And Lassie saved me. <laughs> she knew he was ripping me off. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. And, of course, my favorite famous person that you've worked with, Wilbur, Mr. Ed himself. You know, what can I tell you? I think that's great stuff. Uh, John, when you look back at your career, obviously people recognize you from the Lassie thing, but there's other things. You have a tremendous resume. Is there one... Besides the Lassie, is there one particular role or uh, show you were involved with that you're proud of? All of them. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of all of them. But, boy, you know, I think the first movie I did after Lassie was This Property is Condemned with Robert Redford, Natalie Wood, Charlie Bronson, Robert Blake, Mary Badham, who was scout in To Kill a Mockingbird, who is actually now doing the Broadway play. And I think that probably was 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 one of the one of the most memorable. Yeah, yeah. I have my picture of Hank Aaron at the 86 World Series at Fenway Park. That's my most memorable broadcast moment. So, you know, it's when we look all we're doing, though, is showcasing our ability to entertain others through a medium, right? Exactly. And, but, you know, it was just... I didn't even know I was doing that. Right. It was, you know, it was just what I did. And, and it's amazing that, you know, I mean, nobody's ever come up and said, like, you know, God, we hated Lassie. <laughs> You know, so, you know, I've, I've never really gotten any negativity over anything. So I think it, it's great. I've, I've been blessed. Absolutely. I've been blessed. And That's I all feel, I can say. I feel say. the same way as I look back at my life and my career. Yeah. And I was not in Hollywood, California. Well, you, can, you can tell because you're having fun right. 
I'm having fun. I had fun, and I'm still gonna have fun, That's right. and I'm still working. I got a phone call a, a, a year ago from a young man who just finished a, a a sci-fi story movie that he was doing, and he calls and he says, you know. We'd like you to do the voice of a robot in our new sci-fi movie. And I'm going, well, I've never done... Now, June Lockhart, when she left the farm, she went to outer space. Well, I'm finally going to find out where she got lost. You know, so, you know, it just goes on and on. So I, I keep playing. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And, and look, you know what? You know the old expression, right? 40 was the new 30... 50 was the new 40, 80 is the new 70, right, 90 is the new 80, right? As long as we keep getting closer and closer, I guess, it's okay. And thinking young, right? It's it's all attitude, you know, if you you lose that attitude, then, you know, forget it. But, you know, my body may be a little bit older, but up here, I think I'm still a kid, so. So what I call, we call that the Peter Pan syndrome, right? Uh, I think I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. So now it finally came home to roost. Okay. All right, so here's the thing, and you and I talked uh, a few weeks ago on our Green Rush Live show, and obviously we've talked casually now over the last 24 hours as well. Working with Lassie as a young child has impacted the challenge, the the, the um, what motivates you to help other animals out for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that because, uh, you know, I know some of the stories, and to me, in a lot of ways, I don't know if there's a Nobel Peace Prize for uh, taking care of animals, but you would would be nominated for that. Well, you know, Jimmy, I've always, I mean, as a little kid growing up, always had dogs, always raised around animals. When I got the, the part of Timmy on Lassie when I was seven, I had a pony, my sister had a horse, we had a goat, my dad had a flock of pigeons. I mean, you know, I was always raised up around animals. And what I learned from Lassie, actually from Rudd Weatherwax, the owner of Lassie, was a true respect for the animals. And seeing the way he trained his dogs, and I saw every other kind of trainer out there in the business with all kinds of animals, and saw the way they trained and treated their animals as opposed to him. And then it, when we would travel promoting the show, if we were in a major city and it had a children's hospital, Red Weatherwax would say, okay, Timmy and Lassie are going to that hospital and seeing the kids. This was before service dogs. This was before they let dogs into hospitals. We're talking, you know, the early, the late 50s, early 60s, but they would let Timmy and Lassie in. So I'm a nine, 10 year old little boy seeing other kids my age with polio with, that had been in, in, a, in a horrible car accident and they're in traction. Timmy and Lassie would walk into that hospital room and they would just go to another world. They would forget their pain. Well, that impacted me, and I saw what a dog could do. And so, yes, I spent 25 years later on in my life working, well, donating my time, being on the board of governors of an organization called Canine Companions for Independence that supplies service dogs to people that have you know, disabilities other than blindness because guide dogs takes care of those people and you know it just became it it, it fit right. it was natural it, it's what we did yeah 
And, and, it, and it's special to know that how much you are helping others through that love of animals. And think about the challenges we have in our country these days with mental health, right? And, and all of a sudden now people are recognizing the importance of a companion, a live companion, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. That becomes your best friend in a lot of ways, right? Of course. And, the, and a dog can totally change a person's life. I mean, the, the one thing that, that really... <laughs> blew it up in my head was seniors that are alone and you know that they they don't get out and they and they don't socialize you give them a dog and now they're out and they're meeting other people and their lives are just you know so much more vibrant and and it makes them young again why not that's the one thing i was blessed with is the last name that is young Right? It's about the only thing part of me right now that is still young. The body is broken and old, but that's another story. We do not want to go there. Uh, John, as you know, we're at a cannabis celebration here in, in Massachusetts. Um, you know, I, I think we've talked about this before. I'd like to ask you again, your cannabis journey, how, what role it's played in your life uh, over the years? Well, I am a product of the 60s and, yes, and, and from California. And, you know, grew up, uh, when, when I was 16 years old, we were going to concerts and saying, you know, Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and, and, you know, the incredible groups. And yes, there was cannabis. And uh, it was a little bit different, but over the years, you know, it has changed. It has morphed into a whole bunch of different things. And, you know, well, for us, because it's been going on for centuries and centuries, but for us, and, and to see what, you know, CBDs can do to help people, and, and, you know, if you think about smoking a joint and getting a little high as opposed to, you know, let's drink, you know, a bottle of wine, it's a whole nother deal. Right. And uh, I, I think it's a lot safer, you know, yes, you know, we have to regulate and, and, you know, age and all that. I totally agree and totally understand, but, yeah, we're finally realizing you know what cannabis can do and it's not just something you know that somebody's going to smoke and listen to music right. and sit around on the couch the stoner uh stereotype is disappearing more and more as people like you i, I like to think hey. myself when we come out of the cannabis closet and we share the role yeah. it's played in our lives and you know as a painkiller this is how i get through certainly the evenings and, and have to sleep uh, we yes uh, jimmy mentioned that we uh, have issues and you know a little sciatica something like that hey and and you know some of the other drugs have a lot of really bad side effects you know that i don't want to deal with well this doesn't and it can help and topical or however we want to deal with it to help that pain go for it right it is a self-medicating experiment the role that this plant plays in a lot of people's lives and there is a discovery there's a discovery phase that all of us go through and one of those discovery phases sometimes when i had my medical card for the first time i walked in the bud tender says look i'm not sure i want to smoke it as much as i do anymore i like to find other things so he gave me he gave me some advice that turned out to be not so good okay um, 33 milligrams first time out on an edible is not 
a fun experience, <laughs> I just want to say. Okay, now I learn, start low and go slow. Go. But we all we'll have- anything. I was, yeah. Right, of course. <laughs> the stove is, is hot, Timmy. Don't, don't touch <laughs> oh, the studs. I think yeah. June Lockhart said that to you oh, at some point, sure. right? Yes, yes, and yes. what's the first thing we do is we touch the stove so we, yeah. because we're curious. We're curious beings. We're humans. We're not perfect. Well, and if your parents, you know, your parents say, "Don't do that." What do you do? You go out and do, do it. it. The, the Thank you. Yeah, wherever it is. Yeah. Right? So yeah, let's be up so, upfront. Be upboard. Let me let me ask you a question then. You know, it's funny because I cover the cannabis scene now as a news person, talk show host, and every prohibitionist that I've come up with, and I'm sure that people in the audience can relate to some of this, say, "Well, what about the kids?" And I always say to them, "When I was a kid." I knew more about this shit than my parents did, okay? And I'm going out on a limb thinking, so do the kids of today, because they have something called Google and the internet, and they can learn a lot faster about the stuff they're told not to look at, and, right? Exactly. Yeah, we didn't have the information back then, right. and now you can't hide from it. Right. It's there. Right. So, as always, I think of myself as an educator, and I want to be able to educate kids and I don't have a 21 plus block on my website. I, I will fight that, in fact. Not that I have any money to fight it, but if I did, I would fight that all the way because I think that's what is missing now, is educating the public that is curious about this plant, right? Exactly. And, and that's our job. Do you feel like you're, you're advocating Why for this? And talk, right, at yes. this point, right? Yes, of course, of course, and yeah. One of the things also in your past I'm going to talk to you about, um, it isn't just the dogs or the, or the other mammals out there. Um, you also got involved with the treatment of animals as in testing labs. Am I correct? Yes. Well, we've actually done a lot of um, litigation and, and, and getting laws changed. You know, a, there's a lot of states that um, don't, look at animals as being anything other than just a possession or something that you can just do whatever you want to with. And we've seen a lot of abuse and so I've worked to get a lot of laws changed um, and, and still working, you know, I mean, that's what we have to do. Absolutely, because there's still plenty of things we have to work on. Now, this week was kind of a historic week. I, I believe, I, I couldn't believe it, actually, when I heard uh, the news that President Biden decided to actually live up to one of his campaign promises and came out in favor of um, expunging some federal records, or pardoning, excuse me, I think is the proper term. I was right, corrected yeah. on that. Pardoning uh, some of the federal, now granted, you know, the people in, the, in this industry are like, well, it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough. I'm like, it was a president it was doing something. Move, and it's a long time coming. Right. Thank you. But to think about it, I mean, come on. You know, some states, somebody has a, a roach or a seed, and they go to prison for a year. Yeah. If they had, you know, an ounce of cocaine, they go to prison for a year. No, this doesn't fit. It is, it is, it's black and white. It right. doesn't make sense. Right. So. And, and speaking of black and white, race has played a huge role in the history of this because, as you know, black people were three and a half more times uh, arrested for this substance than white people. And, and that's the way it is, unfortunately. Things like that still happen. It, it's 
they were profiled. <laughs> it's very simple. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, very, it's not a difficult thing to grasp. You, we all get that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I feel horrible about when I hear stories about people um, like the guy in, um, oh God, I'm not gonna, it's the veteran who got arrested in Alabama. He was a medical patient in Arizona. And if somebody comes up with his name, I'm going to remember it. But um, it's a horrible, he got arrested and was in jail. And this is a guy who was a veteran. He went, he did everything lawfully. He happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time in the South, driving through a Southern state. And needless to say, the good news is he's not in jail anymore. And that is a good, we are, we are moving in that direction. And, and the other thing I love to uh, talk about a lot is, let's not just open up the jails and let everybody out. Okay, can we give them some skills and an opportunity to actually make a living in this industry? Because there's tremendous opportunity, isn't there? Oh, no, it's growing like crazy. And, you know, I'm going to be getting involved. And, and you know, it is the future. Yeah. It gives you purpose, though, doesn't it, at this oh, point in our lives? Of course. Well, you, we always need a purpose. Right. We always have something to champion for and to, to move ahead on. So right. that's and we're not talking about Steve Martin's purpose in The Jerk. I just want to make sure that's clear because I know there great, is that. Right? It was a great movie. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Steve Martin's a brilliant, brilliant. Who do, you look, who do you go to the movies to see now? Oh, well, we love movies. Yeah, um, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, it just depends. It just depends. And, and, you know, whether it's somebody new or old, it's whatever. It just doesn't matter. The whole Star Wars saga, the, um, you know, the super movies, if you will, the, the, the James Cameron movies that are out there, the Titanic that he did and all oh, these other yeah, things. I mean, I, do you marvel at the technology advances now? Okay, Jimmy, you do not want to go and see a movie with me. Yes, I do. No, no, no. <laughs> because, see, I grew up in the filming of these movies and I take a movie apart. When I, I can see every single mistake they've made, I see, oh, wait a minute, that, that, in that last scene, no, it wasn't that way. The cigarette wasn't that short, it was longer. And that scene back and forth. And it blows me away because I, I, I will see a new movie, like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino, come on. There is an incredible mistake in there, and everybody says, oh, no, no, that's not. I say, just rewind it, watch it in slow motion, frame by frame, and you will see an incredible mistake. And I can't believe that he let that happen, but I guess it had to do with money, not to have to reshoot that scene. So they let it go through, but, it's, but the normal person is not going to see it. But I see it, because when I was doing Lassie to entertain myself, if we were having lunch or dinner at the table and I had a glass of milk, well, we would do... Milk was the, good for you back then. Well, <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't 2%. It was the real stuff. Right. So that was before we knew. Right. So I, in one scene, you know, the milk would be a full glass and then they would cut and then do a close-up. It's supposed to be a full glass. Well, in between shots, I would drink some or add more. I would, And then when I would go home and watch it on TV... I would see what I was doing, and it was just entertaining for me, but nobody else noticed it. But I would, but I'll see a movie, especially if somebody's smoking a cigarette and the ash. You know, you go from one, one cut to the next cut, and it's totally different because they shot it another day and they didn't remember it. It's just whatever. And, and I pick that stuff out, and my, it drives my wife crazy. 
Yeah. So I've, I've, learned, I've learned to, to be quiet, zip my, yeah. That's called a relationship. We, we all drive our relationship <laughs> oh, friends oh, crazy. And right, and it's how much tolerance and patience can, can, be, can evolve over a period of time. Um, what would you like to see happen in the film industry um, to improve it right now? Uh, there, there's a lot of, obviously everything reflects our culture. Well. In a way, I kind of, it's like, come up with something new. It's like, you know, to do remake after remake after remake. And unfortunately, usually the remakes are not as good as the original. Very rarely are they. And it's like, you know, come on, they're doing this series again. It's like, guys, can't you think of something new? So when something like Star Wars comes out or something that's totally different that blows us away, that's the kind of stuff I want to see, yeah. you know? Because if I, the classics, leave them alone. They're classics. You know, who, who you know, rewrites, you know, a, an incredible novel? No, you leave it alone. That's what we do. So don't redo this movie over three times. And then sometimes they're replacing it, you know, with a, a really great actor or actress. And then somebody today, just because they have a name, and it's a recognition, and that's the, oh, well, everybody knows that name. They'll go see the movie because of that person's name. They may not have any talent at all other than, you know, what they were doing over there. So, you know, I don't know. But new. I like the new stuff. There's been, the Marvel Comics world has now turned into a tremendous production and exploded. And I used to love it when Stan would make his little uh, appearances, little cameos in his oh, movies. Yeah. Um, Growing up, comics were really important. And we know that Gary Somers, who's running this, is a big comic guy. Mark Shepard also, the knee can guy, is also a big comic guy. When you see a comic book come to life, um, how special is that? I think that's pretty cool. It's like, you know, you look at the, well, the, you know, the, old, the old cartoons. Dennis the Menace, there's, you know, look at that. Who's happened to be a good friend of mine, Jay North? You know, grew up. We, Grew up, yeah, grew up together, you know. But By the yeah, way, I was, was Dennis the Menace. Yeah, I just want you to know. We all, weren't we all? <laughs> but yeah, oh yeah, when you see something come to life, that's super. Yeah. It, it, that's what filmmaking, storytelling, because that's really, the, when you drill down to it, that's what the Hollywood world does, is and tell a good story. A good story, and it can, be, it can either make you laugh, it can make you cry, what, whatever it is, as long as, it, as they you know, really get that emotion across, and, and you get to experience it. That's what, how many times have you walked out of a movie and gone, eh? Or you walk out of a movie and you talk about it for days with your wife, you go, did you, did, did that really happen? Wow, what, you know, that's, that's what makes it. I don't think I've recovered from the deer hunter the first time I yeah, saw yeah. it. I just want to say, okay, that was a, tra a really troubling movie to see for the first time. Uh, and, you know, I saw it as an adult. Um, I do want to reminisce a little bit about 1977, though, when Star Wars came out. I was a junior at Tufts University. And I do remember um, being one of the first in line to see that because we'd all heard about that, right? right. Uh, do you remember the reaction in the audience when the first time you saw one of the models go overhead and and it was there was a gasp there was a live gasp from the audience right yeah, and then you think about the technology that they and it wasn't that long ago but you think how the technology has changed and what they and i mean today you know it's like is that a real person or not 
you don't know. That's right. It's a, and that, you know, it's like, okay, when we're filming Lassie, you know, um, the makeup that we used and stuff is, I mean, it's like, was like, just, oh, it was horrible. Yes, it was like pain. It was like, oh, my Lord. And then, and you think of what they do now. And, and you know, it's, but, then, you know, some of the old classics, like one of my favorite horrors, it, it was Bride of Frankenstein. I mean, that one just, that, that got me. I just, you know, and I don't think you could do that today, even with all the CGI and everything that they can do. The, the classics, the, and especially black and white. Right. I love the old classic black and white. One thing Ted Turner did, which I really hated, was colorized. Yeah. I thought colorization was the worst thing he ever. When you, you know, Maltese Falcons, give me a break. Right. No, it takes away. It takes away from the original for sure. Yeah. But I understand why he did it too. Right. I, I, I do. Agree. Right. You don't have to no, agree. Okay. Right. We don't have to agree. Right. That, that's a beautiful thing. Um, all right, hey, John, I got to tell you, this has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, you know, a lot of people think I am a little kid in a candy store in my life anyway. Uh, but meeting people like you, getting to know you as a human, is really what has always driven me as a sportscaster. Uh, that those athletes that I got to interview back in the 80s and 90s put on their pants one leg at a time, just like you and I do. Now, granted, it takes me a lot longer now than it used to. <laughs> Me too. There you go. Oh, yeah. All right, he's John Provost. And uh, how can people, if people want to find you, perhaps get involved in some of the animal rights things you're involved with, uh, give yourself a little plug again, because I know we did this. It's really simple. JohnProvost.com. J-O-N-P-R-O-V-O-S-T. And uh, they're there. And yeah, they can have a list of appearances, where I'm going to be, what I'm doing, what I'm interested in, some little stories. And people can write me there. And... Uh, they want to get an autographed photo or something it's all there so there you go hey uh, we do have a few people in the crowd that we're going to get questions from in just a moment but i do want to wrap up this segment of a special edition of in the weeds with jimmy young from pro cannabis media a reminder to like share and subscribe not just to the in the weed show that i host but all the pro cannabis media programs that we put together and i got to tell you i am so proud of the new show that we put together this week um, after the big news that came out of washington dc so if you haven't had a chance to look at weed talk news from pro cannabis media please do elena pinto does a great job as our news anchor and we have reports from all over the country this is what drives me now john so for john provost i'm jimmy young thanks again for watching in the weeds and remember it's a whole new world of weed out there use it responsibly as a broker we have access to many many cannabis carriers so i will go in with two or three uh, quotes for people the quotes might be twenty thousand for one 22,000 for another, 17,500 for another. Pretty close among the three. What I tell people is it's not the pricing, it's what's included and not included, meaning exclusions. An exclusion in layman's terms is just something that's not included. It's not on the menu, so it's just not included. But if you don't know that, if no one shows you that on page 71 of 150 page policy, you're not gonna know, no one knows. I never met one person that says they'd read an insurance policy. If you do, you know, I got some property in Florida for you.
Weed Talk and In the Weeds are two productions of pro-cannabis media supported by Revolutionary Clinics, one of the top medical cannabis dispensaries in the Massachusetts area, now with three locations in Greater Boston, two in Cambridge, and one on Broadway in Somerville. Rev Clinics has a patient-first mission. They will customize your needs as a medical patient with the proper titration and combination of strains, flavors, and products. Rev Clinics, where the patient comes first. Pro Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at Pro Media, on Instagram at Pro Cannabis Media, on LinkedIn, also at Pro Cannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on Pro Cannabis Media, Twitter at Pro Media, and on twitch.tv backslash pro cannabis media so like share and subscribe to all of our content newsletters and shows live or on demand we are pro cannabis media